Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hey, Sample Chapter listeners, it's Jason, and welcome to episode 204 of the Sample Chapter Podcast. Hey, this week we have another wonderful guest by the name of Liz Alterman. Liz has a few books out so far, and uh, one of the unique things about her that's something I can relate to is each of these books are in different genres, and I find that really cool. You know, she's writing what is appealing to her at that time. Uh, You're going to be hearing today from her young adult novel, He'll Be Waiting, and it's the the prose in that is so incredibly descriptive. It's going to captivate uh, the reader as they hear it, or in this case today, it's going to captivate you, the listener. Uh, it definitely grabbed my attention as she was going through there. Uh, just wait until you hear the description of the psychologist, and you'll understand what clink, clink, clink means. Uh, listen for that when it comes up. Another one of the cool things we're going to be discussing with uh, Liz is learning uh, one of the other genres, which is domestic suspense. What is that? You know, that's going to be really cool. You're going to hear about that. Uh, how she began her writing career, discovering and following the story idea, discovering writing blind spots and what are they, and what she does to stick to her writing discipline. All that and so much more coming up here in just a few moments, so you want to stay tuned for that. Meanwhile, I do want to, uh, again, I'm going to welcome everybody to the show, uh, episode 204. Uh, last time I mentioned that, that I will be attending a an author book signing. I'll be participating in that book signing, and I have a little more information for you all. If you are able to attend, I will be at Sedalia, Missouri, uh, which is home of the State Fair, the Missouri State Fair. I'll be at Reader's World there, with uh, actually with members of the writers group that I'm a part of. So I'm, you know, even though I'm looking forward to um, potentially meeting some fans and, uh, you know, selling some books and talking about my books, I'm really looking forward to getting a chance to see my friends with the uh, writers group. We don't get to connect like we used to. uh, So, you know, more than anything, I'm really looking forward to that. But by all means, on April 2nd, if you can make it to uh, to Reader's World in Sedalia, make sure you come by. Stop by, say hi. I've got a banner. It's going to be up. Table runner. Uh, so you're going to know it's me. <laughs> I stand out a little bit now. And I have, uh, I'll have all of my books available uh, from Nine Mile Bridge, A Novel Idea, and, of course, my latest one, Bandit Rising, uh, book one of the Bandit series. So those will be available for you. And uh, just stop by and say hi. And, of course, if you are an author and you've got a book available, then uh, make sure you tell me, hey, you're interested in uh, maybe coming on the show sometime, and I would love to sit and and chat with you. Now, ironically, speaking of writing, ironically, uh, my my own writing has been slow, but doubly ironically to that, uh, I've been writing a lot of notes about Bandit 2, which is really cool, and uh, that's going to be... You know, I'm looking forward to making some time to sit down and really just kind of let loose. You know, I'm, I'm at that mode right now where I, I'm so anxious to make the time to write that I know that whenever I do, I'm going to be putting down some serious words uh, for a while. So I'm looking forward to that coming up soon. Segway, of course, <laughs> as you all know, I do all of my writing in 
Scrivener. It's my favorite writing software, and uh, I do all of it there. I have several stories saved in Scrivener right now. It's all loaded up on a cloud service. Uh, I use Dropbox, and uh, it's, it's such an incredible software, one that I think you're going to love if you try it out. You won't believe how, how uh, handy the, uh, some of the features in Scrivener. But it's got some great stuff, and uh, I invite you to listen to this advertisement to learn how you can save 20% on the regular desktop version. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software, built by writers for writers. Yeah, thank you once again to Scrivener, a longtime sponsor of the show. Uh, I also want to thank Writer's Block Coffee for being an affiliate with the show. And as an affiliate, that means if you click on the link and you go in and you decide to purchase some coffee, then the show gets a little bit of something. But uh, you got much a whole lot to choose from. You can order once, or you can set up a monthly auto ship with Writer's Block Coffee. They have three incredible flavors. The Deadline Dark, the Whiskey Barrel Aged Coffee, which that's my favorite blend, and there is also the Writer's Block Signature Blend. Choose one, choose them all. You're going to love them all just as much as I do. So, again, click that link in the show notes so you can go in there and check it out. It's some really good stuff. And, hey, make sure while you're there, check out their spoon. It's a it's a bag clip with a spoon on the end. Perfect. I, I have one already. I'm going to order another one for my office. And it is, it is just the perfect little spoon for uh, getting coffee. Have you ever noticed? I, I don't know. I'm getting off on a tangent now. Have you all ever noticed that coffee... Uh, spoons are little bitty things and you know you got to reach way down in the bucket well writer's block coffee have these these bag clip spoons that are i don't know five six inches long and it makes it really easy to get down into the bottom of the bag (laughs) i I love it absolutely love that thing who knew i would uh, really have a thing for a spoon but (laughs) anyway Click the link in the show notes to uh, get on over and check out Writer's Block Coffee. Hey, I also want to thank my friends at PopGoesTheCulture.com, network home to about half a dozen other shows, all of them incredible and all of them pop culture related. Whether you are looking for comic book news, movie news, celebrity gossip, wrestling, even cartoons, uh, lots of throwbacks to the 80s and uh, 90s, really, really cool stuff. Click that link in the show notes so you can get on over and check out all the great shows at popgoesaculture.com. Well, I think that's going to be it for me uh, for today. Without further ado, let's hop on over to our interview with our guest, Liz Alterman. Hello, 
Sample Chapter listeners. Hey, welcome back. Uh, this is another exciting episode. And, you know, I say that all the time that, I, that I'm excited or anything, but I genuinely am. And today is no exception. Today we are speaking with Liz Alterman. Liz's work can be found in the New York Times, the Washington Post, Parents McSweeney's Internet Tendency, and many other publications. She is the author of a young adult novel, He'll Be Waiting, a memoir, Sad Sacked, which is a domestic suspense novel, and the upcoming Perfect Neighborhood. Liv, Liz, Liz lives in New Jersey with her husband and three sons. When she isn't writing, she spends most days reading, microwaving the same cup of coffee, and looking up synonyms. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Liz. Thanks, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. It is my pleasure. I'm so excited to have you here. So how have, uh, have you been? Has uh, the year been good to you so far? Yes, so far so good. Um, I'm currently working on uh, a novel that also would fall in the domestic suspense category. So, you know, some days are better than others, more productive, and then there's always a lull. So in the, on those days, I try to do some, um, you know, baking or something to clear my head and hope the ideas resurface when I get back to my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So let's talk about that title, Domestic Suspense. What, what is that? How do you define that? You know, I think of it as, um, you know, maybe things that are happening in a small town, possibly a suburb, you know, sort of playing on the notion of not really knowing what goes on behind closed doors. Um, you know, things might look perfect on the surface, but you never really know what's going on beneath. So mm. that's um, my forthcoming novel the perfect neighborhood will be out in july and you know that sort of addresses those topics and the work i'm i'm currently doing um, and hoping that uh maybe that'll be out in the world in a year or two uh that sort of looks at the same thing kind of um do you really how well do you know your neighbors how safe is your neighborhood um just sort of those quirks that i think you know people might wonder about but but this kind of explores that on a, a deeper level. Wow. You know, it, it's always fascinating for me. I, I've got 200 episodes now of the, of the show, and it's always interesting to hear the, um, you know, what's, what's driving your writing and, and to hear somebody who's like, oh, well, I was walking the dog and I saw this thing happening and it just got me thinking about this. And then here we are talking, you know, you're describing the uh, domestic suspense and, again that's just another one of those things like you know how many times do we sit in our home and look out the window and see something that just piques our interest like oh yeah there goes the johnsons again what are they up to and exactly like, yeah i mean how perfect to just take that and run with it right and i have to say i i've lived in suburbs almost my entire life <laughs> so i feel like i'm, I'm familiar with it, the ins and outs for better or worse um so it's kind of like i'm immersed in that world so for me i guess you could say it's almost easier than if i were to say imagine um you know i, I have such admiration for sci-fi or fantasy writers who are just you know creating a whole world out of out of nothing and so I feel like I have this backdrop around me and and some interesting characters that I've met over the years so it gives me a lot of fodder <laughs> fantastic do you uh, do you find yourself using a lot of that for the characters like uh, uh, any I mean anybody real where they go oh is that me 
Um, you know, not necessarily yet. I think it's kind of, um, some are more extreme versions, but certainly, um, you know, different, different things. I think that, that parents are faced with today, like the competition, um, among their children, you know, who's, who's in honors this, who's in honors that, or, you know, who's, who's a good parent, like sort of that judgment about among parents of, um, or, you know, who's your babysitter or what's, you know, just that kind of different, um, like, oh, look, they're renovating their home. And, um, you know, how happy is that marriage? Those kinds of things that I sort of packed into the perfect neighborhood. Yeah. Okay. That's fantastic though. And it, it, it sounds incredible. And that's oh, yeah, the perfect neighborhood that's coming out in July. So that's, you're going to have to let us know when that is ready so that way we can help share the word for you. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Now, this is Perfect Neighborhood is kind of different from what you've written in the past. Uh, tell us about uh, your other books. Oh, sure. Thank you for asking. Um, well, I guess uh, just to sort of go back to the beginning, the first longer piece that I wrote was a memoir, and um, it really chronicles the period that my husband and I lost our jobs within six weeks of each other. So um, I tried to use humor to kind of diffuse what was a difficult situation for, uh, for not just for our family, we have three children, but also for our marriage, you know, because we were sort of coming at job loss from different angles. Um, you know, I was kind of panicked, whereas my husband, who had been in his position for 18 years, sort of viewed it as a relief. He hadn't been that happy in that role for a long time, but he had felt it was secure. So he stayed longer than maybe he necessarily wanted to. So when he was let go, he sort of viewed it as like, first of all, a break. And then secondly, the push that he might have needed to go find something something else. But um, as time was passing and he wasn't really looking for a job and, and then I lost my job, um, sort of tensions mounted. So I wrote that story in, um, I guess I took some classes, which I would say for any, any writer is so helpful. I had wonderful, a wonderful instructor and wonderful peer writers in that group who provided feedback that really kept me going with the book. And, um, and then I got an agent and uh, I was sure I was on my way and, uh, and she was a wonderful agent, but unfortunately we just couldn't sell it. I, I bumped up a lot of people saying, you know, um, editor saying you're, you know, you're not famous, you don't have a platform. And, um, and of course, you know, it would kill me every time a real housewife uh, memoir comes out <laughs> to see, you know, um, and certainly I'm, I'm not in a position to, to hit Bravo, but, um, you know, so it was definitely frustrating. And so I kind of shelved that memoir for a while. And then a friend of mine said, have you considered Audible's pitch portal where you can pitch directly an idea. And so I sent the memoir, the menu, the manuscript through their pitch portal. And within about a month, I heard back from an editor and uh, the story resonated with her. And so they made me an offer and um, I gladly accepted. And then um, so that came out last November. And so that's on audio only. But uh, that it was an exciting thing to finally see. Like, I think I had started it maybe in 2015. So to have it come out in 2021 was, um, you know, I, to see it to fruition was an exciting moment for me. Yeah. And that's that's a sad sect. 
Exactly. Exactly. And then um, I guess before that I had written or, or I guess I had written Sad Sacked first, but seeing that it really wasn't going anywhere for quite a while, um, I had an idea for a young adult thriller, which is what I'll be reading from today. And that's called He'll Be Waiting. And so I decided, you know, perhaps the market was more um, hospitable to a young adult thriller. So I wrote that and then um, I worked with a different agent who, again, you know, tried her best and was optimistic that it would be a quick sale and long story short it was not and so I began pursuing indie presses for that one and I found one between the lines they're called and um, they were just wonderful to work with they um, made me an offer and they've been so supportive and lovely throughout the entire journey from editing to cover selection to marketing Um, I just feel like they've really been um, champions of, of authors. And so that's been a great experience. Oh yeah. My gosh. And it's wonderful to have a support system like that. Absolutely. So now you said you took some classes. Do you, um, do you have, uh, other people around? Like, do you have a writing group or anybody or, or did it, do you just kind of write on your own now? Um, You know, I was taking some classes and before the pandemic, I was in a writing group where we would try to meet once a week and just, you know, kind of get together and share pages. But um, since COVID, it's definitely been a little bit more difficult. And uh, I still, I guess up until about December, I was taking, I was part of a writer's workshop and we met online and it was, I feel it's really helpful because for me, especially, it keeps me accountable knowing whether we're going to share five pages, eight pages, 10 pages. I think without those deadlines, I can, you know, tend to be a little loose with myself, like, oh, you'll get it done. And then the next thing a week passes and I haven't gotten anything done. So uh, it was, it's very good for accountability. And it's also great. I love hearing other writers work. Um, you know, even I've been in some where, you know, people are not writing in the same genre. They might be writing a middle school fantasy or they're writing auto fiction about an experience they had uh, working in another country. And, um, but, you know, we're all able to give each other feedback that hopefully helps, you know, stay on track and just kind of point out those blind spots that a writer may have when they're writing Mm. on on their own. So I I find it so helpful. I I agree completely. I I've also been part of a writing group locally here for uh, a number of years. And then after COVID, my schedule completely changed. So I haven't been able to uh, meet with them and they just started recently going back to in-person and they were doing virtual ones, but I just, I couldn't make it. And right. I, I miss that group so much because there's such a wide variety of us there, uh, script writers, uh, young adult, other thrillers, even some horror and, and, and different things but everybody always has something valuable to add exactly uh, whatever it is and and it's you know because it's out of the box thoughts of that you know if you're just talking to other thriller writers for instance then you know we all have kind of the same thought process but somebody who's writing a young adult will be like well why don't you just you know do this and you're like wait that's a good idea (laughs) exactly yeah it really opens your mind to new avenues Mm -hmm. absolutely so now is writing something you've always aspired to? Is this something you've always done? Or is this uh, just kind of came about because of the, uh, because of Sad Sack, the events for that? 
Oh, well, thank you. You know, I, I always wanted to be a writer. I grew up, um, my mom would always read to me as a child. And so I would say she really fostered that love of reading. And, um, you know, I think just going back to my childhood reading Judy Bloom or Paula Danziger, uh, you know, I like whenever I would go to the library as part of our school, like other kids would look forward to gym or recess. I just wanted to go to the library. So mm -hmm. um, I think that was something I always wanted to do. And um, it was funny when, so I have three children and when I had my oldest, I took a little time off from work and I just started having, you know, I guess the whole world of motherhood and parenting was very eye-opening to me. Um, just, you know, even small things like people kind of um, competing about like who had the better diaper bag or, you know, what activities you had your kids in. And um, so I felt like I, it was giving me material that I had not expected. And it, it was funny at the time, my husband was saying, um, oh, you should start a blog. And this was in 2002. And I said, you know, me not being very technical, me starting a blog would be like, you know, me building a rocket and trying to get to the moon. So I appreciated his thoughts, but I wasn't ready to try it. And then, you know, fast forward a decade when we lose our jobs. Um, and I was kind of, I guess I started a blog then mainly to keep kind of as like a diary of my thoughts and just, um, you know, to kind of, chronicle like I can't believe that we're out of work at the same time and then um, we had some crazy experiences where uh, we would have a job interview and we'd get there and the interviewer would have forgotten we were coming or you know we'd go through all of these rounds and then hear um, oh sorry we forgot to email you that that we filled that position and you know just it was just kind of bumping up against all of those things to try to to write it all down and to try to do it with humor, I think really kept me sane during that period. So and then I, I guess as I put the blog together, um, I started I was working as a freelance writer. And one of the assignments I got was to interview the owner of a local writer school, which is where I ended up taking the writing workshops. And sort of just as a throwaway question, I said to her, you know, so what's your most popular course? What do people take? And she said, believe it or not, memoir writing. You know, people, especially older adults, feel, you know, they have a lifetime of information and interesting experiences and they want to write those down whether it's to publish or to pass on to family members and so you know it kind of took me back and I thought wait a minute could I turn that blog into a memoir of my own and uh I, at the time being out of work or, or just sort of freelancing I didn't have that much on my plate and so I thought okay I'm going to take this class and see how it goes and it was a wonderful experience and I think writing it sort of showed me that I could write something longer as opposed to maybe a short story which I think I had always found very daunting the thought of oh my gosh 90,000 words like who who can do that who's got that <laughs> discipline but <laughs> yeah it's funny you say that my wife and I just discussed a few nights ago we we're we're going to get some notebooks and just start writing down some of our memories of uh oh that's great the past 25 years and just start uh, chronicling some things for the kids we used to have notebooks that we would record things that the kids did uh, oh yeah things that they did and then it you know you get busy and it just kind of fell aside and we thought yeah we should go back and just start doing that for us and things that we remember things that the kids will will find fascinating you know later in life and 
We'll oh, definitely. That. We'll leave that for them. So, and, and it seems like, uh, well, hearing you talk about it and then me thinking about it myself, it seems to be a, a very therapeutic kind of thing to do. It really is. I think so. I think also too, you know, once you put it down on paper, I feel like it, it almost is cleansing. It's out of your head. It's somewhere else. It's, um, you know, you're not carrying it the way that you necessarily were before you wrote it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I like that. Okay. What, uh, what has been the most difficult part of, uh, of writing for you? Uh, you know, I think the discipline, I think the internet is probably, it's like you're a blessing and a curse because um, while it's there and, you know, I can look up like, I guess in the perfect neighborhood, uh, a child goes missing. And so I was able to sort of Google and find different things that law enforcement does when a child first goes missing. And to have that research at my fingertips uh was just invaluable, but, and also to see other writers, to meet other writers through say Twitter or Instagram is really gratifying. Like to, to watch other people, you know, struggle and then attain success. I find really inspiring. Um, There's that commiseration and celebration and that's, I've met some really wonderful uh, writers through Twitter. And I love that. But at the same time, I feel like when the going gets hard, uh, it's very easy to click away and open a window. And, you know, next thing I'm ordering things for my kids from Amazon, or, you know, I'm sending an email to a friend and next thing, 45 minutes have gone by (laughs) and I still have a sentence that's unfinished. And, um, I think in the old days you would, before the internet, you would just kind of maybe stare out a window, or take a walk around your house. Uh, and so I think the internet is probably uh, my biggest challenge and, and just that self-discipline to say like, I'm, I'm just gonna focus for one hour at least. <laughs> well said, and I can totally relate. <laughs> so, so you have all these influences around you um, and, and memoirs and things that you can fall back to. So how do you go about picking which one do you want to write next? Or is there one that just kind of stands out that, okay, this is the one that's, that's bugging me the most and I want to follow that? Oh, well, thanks for asking. That's a great question. I feel like when I wrote The Perfect Neighborhood, I woke up with the idea for it. And it's kind of funny because I told my husband the idea and he said to me, yeah, I don't think that's going to work. I, <laughs> I, I would just, you know, maybe shelve it and see if another idea comes up. And so I kind of, I just kept waiting and seeing if something else would come to me. And meanwhile, in the background, in my mind, I could almost feel the characters like moving and talking. And so finally, after six months of waiting for a new idea that never came, I sat down and uh, I just started typing and just, you know, not even in order, but just kind of jotting down ideas of, um, maybe the arc of the story. And before I knew it, I had about 6,000 words and I felt like, okay, if this is just this much writing in ideas, like there's something here, you have to go with it. And so that was what uh, kind of spurred me to say, okay, I'm going to commit to this project and, and get started in earnest. And so I did. Oh, fantastic. So the book we're hearing from today, he'll be waiting. This is young adult. And it fascinates me. You've got a memoir, young adult, and then the, uh, 
the domestic suspense, you kind of writing wherever you feel led, it sounds like, which yes, I find that amazing. And, and I love when authors can do that. I'm kind of <laughs> doing the same thing myself lately, just like, oh, oh this great. one's paranormal. This one's science fiction. And this one's, but uh, what was, what was the decision for you that made you think young adult or was there a decision? Was it something halfway through where you realized, oh, this is young adult? Um, thanks for asking. You know, I think I sort of thought, well, I have, as I mentioned, I have children and they are unfortunately reluctant readers. It's very hard to get them, uh, you know, if something doesn't hook them within the first couple of pages, they kind of abandon it. So I was thinking, okay, what if I wrote something and what if I tried to use them as my almost a test audience, like I'll, I'll give them pages at a time. And if they're willing to keep going, then I'm going to be willing to keep writing and see just how far we get. So, um, you know, sometimes they were a little reluctant as I took their devices away to say, okay, here's five pages. Let me know what you think. And my older, my oldest son is a little critical. Like he would say, ah, Ma, teenagers don't talk like that. Nobody would say that. And so I felt like that was, it was great to kind of have an in-house editor keeping me honest about dialogue. So uh, that was nice. And um, so I guess it was just sort of an idea that I had. And I think also because I had had such hopes for the memoir and it didn't sell, I thought, okay, maybe maybe young adult might be an easier way to break in that you don't necessarily need to come to it with a huge platform or be a celebrity or be known um, to have success in that market. So I had an idea and I thought, okay, why not give this one a shot? Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And it, and it sounds amazing. I love the, the catchphrase on there. There are no safe spaces. That's already just kind of like, Whoa, between that and the cover, it, it definitely uh, begs to be picked up to say, okay, what is this? Oh, thank you. Yeah, I was very grateful because um, the publisher really, they listened to my ideas and um, I, and I feel like I initially gave them too many, like almost cluttering the cover and the designer came back with this and said, well, what do you think about this? And right away I thought, ooh, that's, you know, that's eye-catching and different and not nearly as cluttered as what I was giving her. So um, I really, I give them all the credit for coming up with that. But it's, it's fantastic and definitely eye-catching. So, oh, thank so, you. Uh, so you have uh, Perfect Neighborhood coming out in July and then you're working on another uh, domestic suspense, you said? or is that I am. Yes, okay. exactly. So I'm I'm hoping, I'd like to think I'm maybe three quarters of the way <laughs> finished. Oh. And then when it's done, I'll go back and do a major edit. And, uh, and maybe then I'll tap my beta readers and ask, you know, if they don't mind taking a look and, and letting me know what works and what doesn't. Fantastic. Well, this has been wonderful. I, I mean, there's just so much good stuff here to dive into. And uh, oh, oh, man, listeners, you guys, y'all have got to click the links in the show notes. Uh, so where what are these links? Where can people find and follow you? Oh, thank you for asking. On Twitter, I'm uh, just pretty basic at Liz Alterman and same with Instagram uh, at Liz Alterman. And then my website is LizAlterman.com. Wonderful. And yep, absolutely. I will definitely have those links in the show notes so everybody can go 
and click there and uh, know right where to go. And is there like a sign up for uh, when your, when your books come out to get notified? Oh, thank you. You know, I do have a Google form. I could send it to you. I, I was still kind of toying with, I've only sent one newsletter so far. So I feel like I don't want to overwhelm anybody with that, but I could definitely send you the link. And then uh, I think right now, there's a giveaway, a Goodreads giveaway for the perfect neighborhood. And I think we'll be doing another one in April. So I'd be happy to send you that link and then the link to the newsletter sign up as well. Okay. Yeah. I'll make sure and uh, put those links on there for, uh, for your Goodreads and then uh, for your Amazon page too, because that, that's always a good place that, and I don't, it's amazing when I talk to other people uh, not writers, they don't realize that, yeah, if you hit that follow button on Amazon or Goodreads or whatever, they get notified when a new book is coming out. And exactly. <laughs> so I, I don't have a form on my website either saying, yeah, my new book's coming out. It's like, but if you go to Amazon or if you go to Goodreads or BookBub, uh, you're going to get notified there. So, and that's, that's a, always a good way. So I always encourage people to check out one or, or all three of those places as well. Yes, that's great too. So, all right. Well, Liz, this has been fantastic. And uh, Thank I, you. I, just, I, I wish you all the best uh, with uh, Perfect Neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And I cannot wait to hear more uh, from uh, He'll Be Waiting. Is there any kind of setup we need for this? You know, I was thinking about just starting on chapter one, and um, if that's okay. And I was yeah. going to just, I'll give you uh, the blurb from the back of the book, which I think kind of sums up where we're going, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, Okay, so as you mentioned, the tagline is, there are no safe spaces. Uh, when Tess Porter agrees to pick up her boyfriend's college pal at the airport on a snowy December night, she has no idea she's about to embark on the most dangerous ride of her life. Two days later, the 17-year-old wakes up in a hospital with broken bones, unable to remember how she got there. Her parents are acting strange, and neither her boyfriend James nor her best friend Izzy have visited. As she struggles to physically recover, Tess wrestles with haunting questions. What happened? Will her memory ever return? And what if she's better off not recalling any of it? Oh my goodness. All right, see, I, I, my to be read file just grows and grows every week <laughs> of this show. And uh, yeah, that's gonna have to go on there as well. So. Oh, Jason, thank you. I'd, I'd be happy to send you a copy. <laughs> Great, thank you, I appreciate it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, time for me to step aside with my writer's block coffee and uh, enjoy this sample chapter from our guest, Liz Alterman with He'll Be Waiting. Thank you. Chapter one, the secrets we keep from ourselves. December 18th. I can handle the broken bones, the bruises, the bald patches, all of it. But there's one thing that's bothering me more than absolutely everything else combined. I can't remember the last time I saw James. We'd had plans for the night I ended up here in this hospital bed in a trauma center miles from my home in the middle of a snowstorm, big plans. That was two days ago. I woke up this afternoon feeling as if I'd been trampled by circus elephants with no idea where I was and no memory of seeing him. No clue what happened on the night I'd been looking forward to for nearly four months. It's crazy and terrifying. At first, I hoped I was trapped in one of those dreams where you try your hardest to wake up by telling yourself you're still asleep 
and everything is fine. Everything seems so bizarre and unfamiliar. I was sure I'd roll over in my bed, James beside me as I'd planned. Plastic glow-in-the-dark stars arranged in madcap constellations on my ceiling. I tried to speak, scream, and jolt myself awake, but I could only gasp. The moment I lifted my right arm, the one not in a cast, to touch my head, because honestly, that hurt the absolute worst, mom shrieked, Tess, don't, and rushed over. When she lowered my hand back down to the bed, I felt it and I had a terrible thought. I'm not dreaming. This is real. I turned from her and toward the window. It was dark outside. I caught a glimpse of myself in the reflection and shut my eyes. Bandages cover most of my head. I look like a last minute Halloween zombie costume. Too bad that holiday is long over. It's the week before Christmas and at 17, I'm too old to trick or treat anyway. Still, I can't help feeling like I'm starring in my own personal horror show. When I first opened my eyes, I saw mom and dad pacing opposite sides of the hospital bed, a weird worried march that I assumed was somehow part of my nightmare. What is this? What's happening? I blinked a dozen times as if that would change the scenery. Oh, Tess, thank God you're awake, mom said after making sure I didn't mess with my bandages. It's all going to be okay, honey. We're right here. She squeezed my right hand in hers. I had the oddest reaction, complete revulsion. If forming each sentence didn't feel as impossible as suddenly speaking fluent Mandarin, I'd have said, leave me alone. Where did that come from? I tried to move my left leg, bundled in the giant white plaster cast. It matched my left arm. Even something as simple as attempting to wiggle my toes sent sharp needles shooting through my body. You're in the hospital, Tess. She paused and turned toward dad as if for guidance or confirmation that she should continue talking. He looked at me, his eyes wet and red rimmed as a basset hound's. Mom kept staring at him as if willing him to speak. He didn't. There's been an accident, a bad accident, she said. Deep lines formed a tiny number 11, creasing the spot between her eyes. You don't remember? I shook my head, causing a throbbing, stabbing pain between my ears. What accident? What happened to me? Panic rose in my chest. I wanted to scream, but my words came out like a whimper as I grew more anxious by the moment. Dad's eyes finally met mom's and I saw a flash of anger in them before he turned back to me. We're still piecing it together, he said, in the tone he uses when he tries not to lose his patience. After a hint of a sad lips together smile, he added, the main thing is Tess, in time, you're going to be all right. Piecing what together, what happened? Why were they making me repeat myself when I was already so weak and exhausted from searching my mind for memories, images of what could have landed me here, like Humpty Dumpty after the fall? Where's James? Is he here too? What's going on? Just tell me. With each passing second, I felt myself spiraling downward, morphing into a mad woman, a feral cat. If I had the strength, I'd have tried to make a run for it. But with a broken leg, how far could I get? Ah, 
I thought I heard some chatting going on in here. A woman appeared in the doorway wearing a crisp blouse as white as her hair and a red pleated skirt. I don't know how long she'd been standing there. Gold bangle bracelets jingled on each wrist. Their gentle clink, clink, clink grew louder as she walked toward me. I'm Lydia, the psychologist assigned to your case. She extended her hand, clink, clink, clink. I have a case. I stared at her, wishing she'd explain everything without me having to ask. Again, mom looked at dad. She opened and closed her mouth. What am I doing here? I asked, wanting to believe that this woman, a total stranger, might hold the key that would unlock my memory simply because she wore a hospital badge and carried an official looking folder. Well, Tess, may I call you Tess? She smiled, the corners of her eyes crinkling like the skirt pleats. I nodded and the throbbing returned. You've suffered an event that's left you with some significant fractures. And from what I just overheard and from what your doctors suspect, you've most likely sustained a traumatic brain injury as well, she continued. Do you know what that is? She stared at me, waiting for my response, her eyes as turquoise as the Caribbean. I pictured my friends and classmates, their vacation photos peppering my Instagram feed. Shots of them leaping into the sea, huge smiles, arms and legs flung out like starfish. James's eyes are a much darker blue, almost navy, like the ocean, bottomless, with a strong current that pulls you in deeper until you're swimming inside them and never want to be anywhere else. I thought about James's face, the dimple in his chin, those eyes, the ones I picture when I can't fall asleep. The left has a tiny black freckle near the very bottom of the blue outer ring. I could hear his voice, the way he smiles and says, that's funny, but doesn't actually laugh at a joke. I wondered where he was, what he was doing. This has become my default pastime since he left for college. Lost in thought, I didn't realize Lydia was still expecting an answer. Tess? Do you know what a traumatic brain injury is? She repeated. Can you recall what happened to you? No and no. I shook my head gently to avoid the throbbing. Well, sometimes when a situation is particularly jarring or painful, our mind plays a little trick on us by withholding information. It's sort of like a secret your brain decides to keep, to hold back because it thinks you're not ready to recall it. I believe that's what you may be experiencing. How is that possible? How could I lose or block out a whole chunk of time? I've been thinking about her words, trying to force them to make sense for the past few minutes, minutes that crawl by like hours while she and mom and dad stare at me with what? Pity, concern, fear? I scroll through the things I can remember, calling up scenes like I'm flicking past photos on my phone's camera roll. Images from both the distant and recent past are still there. Birthdays, crabbing with my grandfather during summer vacations, the ending of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I know we have a velvety black cat named Daffy who has a love-hate relationship with our Roomba. All of that's stored as it's always been. It's the events of a single night that I need to get back. That, and I want to know where James is. Did he get home from school okay? Why isn't he here with me? Lydia, is that her name? Looks at mom and dad, then back at me. 
offering us all another forced smile. I know at the moment it's all very frightening, Tess. You've suffered a shock, but I'm sure many, if not all of your memories will return to you in time when your mind and body are ready. We're going to work together, all of us, to make sense of this. She places her hand on my good arm, clink, 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 and motions for mom and dad to step out into the hallway with her. Be right back, mom says. Her hand shakes as she brings it to her mouth to blow me a kiss. I watch them from my bed, heads bent toward one another, necks craning, whispering. What were they saying? Something about me, obviously. I hear my name murmured. What are they keeping from me? And what are the secrets I'm hiding from myself? We're going to work together. That's what Lydia said. That sounds nice in theory, but the overwhelming feeling I can't seem to shake is that from here on out, I'm on my own. Oh my goodness. All right, that was Liz Alterman reading a sample chapter from her young adult novel, He'll Be Waiting. That book and all of her books are available. You can click the link in the show notes for Liz's website and all of her social media. Uh, Don't forget to follow her so that you find out when that next book is coming out, uh, which is real soon. And uh, yeah, give her a follow. Don't forget to also click the links for our sponsors, affiliates, and podcast friends alike. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button for the Sample Chapter Podcast so that you don't miss out next time when I'm back with a new author, a new book, and a brand new Sample Chapter. Take care, everybody. We'll talk to you again real, real soon. Bye.